This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome one, welcome all to the Simple Politics Podcast. I'm your host and political droplet, Kobe Omanaka. And as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts and political oceans and Diane and Tatten. Guys, how are you doing this week? Yeah, lovely. And that was a lovely introduction. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> if you were an ocean, Diane, which one would you be? <laughs> I'm worried I'm full of plastic. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. The sea turtles that live in you and, you know, whales. Yeah, but they're all like, they've all got like those plastic ring pulls around their necks. No. We're a sign of our destruction. We're, uh, we're, we're a shadow of what we used to be. Still bigger than me as a droplet. I mean, that's true. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a very fair, very fair recognition. Uh, how are you doing this week, Tatten? Last week you, you were candid in saying you hadn't been feeling so great. How are you feeling this week? Oh, well, Kobe, that's really kind of you to ask. I am a bit better, a bit better, rolling on, um, phased return to work mostly. But uh, yeah, good, better, better every day. So thank you very much. Well, last week, everyone had the weekend off from Simple Politics. Uh, so I hope you come back a bit more fighting fit, a bit more rested. Was it necessary last weekend to, to just take a few days away? And I mean, this week's going to be quite tough. I think we're going to talk about a few things that have been heavy in the news. But how important was it for, for that couple of days rest? I think that prioritizing your mental health is really 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 important i think that that just keeping on going doesn't help and what i talk about a lot on my personal page is you can only do what you can do i speak to people quite frequently who are sat on the kitchen floor just kind of on their phone and they're beating themselves up for it it's like well this is what your body needs to do allow yourself even if the even if the most you can do is sit and breathe then just sit and breathe because trying to do more things isn't going to help. It's not going to be productive. Take that time, do what you need to do so you can do what you want to do later on. Love it. Let's head to the top post of the week on the Simple Politics Instagram feed. Tatten, do you want to take us away with the number three most popular post? Yeah, I mean, no, it's just... It's just impossibly bleak. Um, this earthquake, the series of earthquakes in Turkey and in Syria, and buildings have just been destroyed. And they were destroyed while people were sleeping in bed. And the, the earthquake was strong enough to just collapse entire buildings on top of people. And the death toll is 
huge. The number of injuries is huge. People searching through the rubble. But because it's because because we are where we are, people are getting voice notes. Their phones are still working, so they're sending voice notes from within the rubble, saying, "You've got to help me. Got to get me out." There was one story of a baby who was born in the rubble. The mother still managed to to give birth. And it's just tragedy after tragedy. And sometimes people were being found alive. But by the time you're listening to this, if people have been trapped for this long, the chances of survival of being found alive just get smaller and smaller and smaller. When we posted on this, the Disasters Emergency Committee, uh, who are like a big organization that that kind of take all the donations and hand them out, hadn't yet started an appeal. Oh, yeah, hadn't? Okay. But on their website, they listed people who were already taking donations. I donated a small amount for on behalf of Team SP. I chose Christian Aid because I didn't know which one of the ones to, to click through. And I happened to be reading about what a good organization they were like a couple of weeks ago. So I, that, that, that's the one I gave to. But now the DEC is up and running with their own campaign. So if you do want to donate, please do, because it, Oh, I'm getting emotional. It saves lives. It saves lives. And these people need help. So DEC, just Google DEC. It'll come up. And please, please give what you can. The DEC is like an organization which is so wish didn't need to exist. But it's such a beautiful thing that they do exist when they do collaborate and do get together when when things like this do need to happen. So I'll be donating as well to those guys. So if you have any means to do so, guys who are listening, please do consider donating what you can do. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're living in a cost of living crisis and times are tough and we do appreciate that. But if you do have a couple of quid, you know, it all helps, doesn't it? And and the DEC is also the, the absolutely right way to do it because the fact that part of this has been felt in, in Syria makes it all the more tricky, given the situation there, for aid to get to the people who really need it. So doing it through the right means is 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 key, absolutely key. Okay, the second most popular post, this is for you, Diane. Right, okay. Wow, <laughs> something completely different. Um, <laughs> we're obviously not a, a theology page by any means, but... We read this story the other day. Actually, Tatna and I had a bit of a chat about it online. And, you know, you, you, you feel sometimes you feel something. You say, have you seen this? Have I seen and, and we were already going quite, you know, like, this is quite interesting. Let's have a chat. about. you know, we were having our own little, you know, commentary about it. So we thought it's definitely worth a post. See how it does. And actually, it really got people talking quite a lot on this. And like I say, it's probably, you know, not for us to go into the whole ins and outs of it all and the theology around it, but it was really, really interesting. It's the Church of England considering their language about God, whether it should be more gender neutral, because traditionally it's been God as a he, God the father. It's been all that kind of language. Really interesting. They're launching a project in spring. They're going to look at it. But this is the Church of England. You know, it's a it's a big beast of an organization with lots of tradition so I wouldn't expect anything to change particularly if they wanted it to it would also have to go through approval and the synod and all of these kind of things you know so we're talking about a long long time off but the spokesperson said really matter of factly at the bottom you know we've thought this for ages that God's 
not male or female it, you know god is 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 bigger than all that so interesting the comments just to give you a little highlight while some people were debating the ins and outs and it did get very interesting a lot of people were saying wow what a thing for the Church of England to come out and say they're going to focus on or concentrate on, given they won't really do anything about gay marriage. So, you know, that was an interesting point of view that almost like, yeah, but but what about that? So an interesting post, always good when something gets people talking. I was, uh, my, my parents are very Christian and I was always brought up to start prayers, Father, Mother, God. I mean, that's so my mum's kind of Christian science rather than a C of E. But um, yes, I mean, that. this always felt a bit more gender neutral. Father, mother, God, watch me while I sleep and guide my little feet up to thee, is what we used to say every night. I mean, listen, it, 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 it's Church Ring will do, will do what Church Ring wants to do. I would imagine we'll have some kind of compromise where people are allowed to use gender neutral language in their church if they would like to and give each church that freedom. But we'll see. We'll see. As am I. I'm, uh, my parents are, are Christian of, of different denominations, of Church of England. Although in the early, early days, I, I did used to go to Church of England Church on the Sunday. I'm, I'll be interested to see how this pans out. I think lots of institutions could do with readdressing how to present gender. And that includes, and in that I'd encompass, you know, LGBT marriages and arrangements as well. If the Church of England do move the needle in some way, it'll be interesting to see who follows. Um, and and uh, to be honest, it's very interesting to see they've come out and said, we're going to have a look into it. I remain open to see what happens. Okay, number one, the top post for this week. And it's an internal one. It's an SP focus one. The, the, the top post, the top post for this week is everyone's favorite thing. <laughs> Everyone who follows simple politics loves it when we shut up. <laughs> we just say, we're not, we're, we're off. They go, oh, thank goodness we get a weekend away from your drivel. This was because I was feeling poorly. I needed to take the time off. Charlotte was on leave and I didn't I didn't want to leave Diane as the kind of sole person kind of churning away on her own. That didn't feel very fair. God knows what I'd have posted. <laughs> I mean, you are right. I did it because I don't trust you. <laughs> it just seemed better to say, hands up, we're off. And people are lovely because we posted uh, in case you missed it, which is our Saturday morning post, which is kind of a run up of story, rundown of stories we haven't really done that week, and and done done it by time by time we did the switch off, uh, and lots of people were like you're supposed to be on leave, you're not supposed to be posting right now. <laughs> I think yeah. I think some of them some of them were posting were commenting that because they care, and some of them were just furious that they had us pop up <laughs> on their feed when we'd already said we wouldn't be there. No, um, no, no. The anger. <laughs> I just thought it was safe to go back on Instagram, people. Don't do this. Well, yeah, we touched, I touched upon that at the top of the at the top of the episode. But it's good to see. That. I love the support that simple politics gets. Genuinely, it's it's astonishing yeah, and it is. a beautiful thing. So our people are genuinely the best people. Like people who follow SP generally believe our message of peace and love. They generally want to be informed. They generally care, and certainly. Like a couple of times, certainly before I started my personal page, I, I would write about my mental health on SP. I do a lot rarer these days. God, just nothing but love. Nothing but love. Not one negative comment. And that's, people talk about what a toxic place the internet is. But the, our little corner, our little corner 
of of social media is a wonderful, safe, beautiful, caring place. And that's because of, I mean, it's you, lovely listener. It's you. You are part of the SP family. And, oh, God, I'm going to tell you I love you. And I love you. So, <laughs> poof. I'm, I, you know, you're emotional. I'm not emotional. You're emotional. But, you know, make a grammatical mistake, guys, and then pounce. Well, yeah. yeah I it's mean, true. That's it's true. <laughs> you misspelled Wednesday. Die. <laughs> okay, let's head out to the second part of the podcast. That's the mailbag. And that's over to you guys, the readers and listeners of The Simple Politics. Diana believe we have a couple of voice notes this week. We do. We do. Love it. Really exciting. So um, the first voice note we have is from Kieran. Hi team, Kieran here. So it's a bit of a different question that you'd probably be asked before, but so it's a personal one. What do you think of slash do you think it's possible for someone who hasn't ever been to university and probably won't go to university to become a politician of sorts, whether it be local, whether it be, uh, you know, within our actual, you know, Westminster, within the government. Because I believe that there are probably a lot of people who are missed out on or lose out on an opportunity who would be good at the job purely because they didn't go to university maybe at all or specifically for politics. And I say it's a personal one because it could be a life goal of mine, but obviously I never went to university, if you didn't know. So, yeah. And love the podcast, guys. Well, the, the podcast loves you back, Kieran. The answer to your question is absolutely people can be MPs or councillors or whatever. There is a very, very difficult job application, job interview process to become a an elected official, and that is to win the election. You don't need any qualifications. You don't need, I think you need to be over 18. But apart from that, you can stand and then you have to persuade enough people to vote for you. And if they vote for you, boom, you are the local councillor for your area. You are the MP for your area. And that's that. There are plenty of MPs who haven't been to university. Uh, I don't have the statistics to hand. There are a huge number that didn't study politics at university. Some did. A lot of them studied PPE, which is politics, philosophy, and economics. So some some of them did, but you don't have to have a degree to do any of these things. You just need to get the votes. With the degree side of things, I always felt there's more the I don't want to call them the support staff, but the people that work alongside the uh, the politicians. I think we typically want those guys to have the, the PPE, want them to have the, the philosophy degrees uh, to understand everything. But from my point of view, we want, to, we want the politicians to represent the people. And if not everyone goes to university, then why should politicians all have to go to university? Yeah, that's true. What I'd say is, this personal opinion, you absolutely don't need a degree, obviously, to be a politician in any way. I think there is a perception around it, okay? And I think that perception sometimes is a barrier to people that shouldn't be there. I think that's particularly true the more senior you become. So, for example, when we think about cabinet, a higher percentage of those guys have degrees, have been to a a private school and then went on to a very, very good university. So I think there is a perception around it. And I can see why you've asked, Kieran, because you might have always perceived that to be the case. I think, again, personal opinion, it would be very, very popular with voters to have someone with 
real lived experience in certain industries to then be responsible for that as as a role. So for example, if we had someone who had been through the NHS and then became health secretary, you know, that's going to, I think, bring a real gravitas to the role, bring a real, you know, an understanding that people often believe is lacking when it comes to policy. So in a nutshell, go for it. <laughs> um, Diane, Diane, you're absolutely, you're completely wrong um, on this. You're completely, completely, completely wrong. No, you don't need a degree. Yes, people would like people who have degree don't have degree. Sometimes I I run hustings events. I, I get involved with local campaigns, not lo- with local elections, and help help people decide who to vote for. Uh, there's all kinds of people involved. We only see the victors of the election campaigns normally, because we only see the MPs or we only see our councillors. But there are a huge wide range, and especially at council level. But this thing about having to be have been through the NHS. Well, first of all, this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. To get to nurse level, that's a graduate job. Wasn't it Diane just using that as an example of like, it'd be nice to, for, the, for the health secretary to have gone through the system, not necessarily a university angle. You could be an HCA. The point of the politician is not to run a trust right? To run the NHS trust, you absolutely need to have been through the NHS and understand the NHS really, really well. The politician's job is to decide the politics of it. Civil servants understand what's going on and the, and the, and the minister has to make political decisions and the ramifications of those decisions are gone through by the civil servants. There are Maybe it is useful to have someone who's been in education as the education minister, who's been in defence. Defence is an odd one because you almost always have a former former military server. Military server, that's what they're called. Because it's important, right? <laughs> no, but <laughs> yeah, the role is about political decision-making and the consequences and the specific nature of those roles is... It is supported by the civil service and is supported in a way that these political decisions are made by politicians. So it doesn't necessarily matter if you're an outsider who hasn't been in charge of an NHS trust, who hasn't been a head teacher, who hasn't been doing whatever else it is. Political decisions are made by politicians. Sure. But politicians 
don't wake up one morning and are born politicians. It's the life experience that they bring to mm-hmm. the table that they often go on about and is the is how they get elected. It's on the basis of... Do you, do you, on this, Diane, we're going to agree because it's the political life experiences of making political choices, of believing in your politics that make them good at being politicians. There's politics in everything you can work in an office and there's politics and you learn to be a good politician and you learn democracy and you learn all of that kind of thing so it's not just that you've been in a political institution where you get to learn politics it's it's wider than that and sometimes if that's in an area of expertise that could be useful because the civil servants that you talk about who create and bring policy to life they haven't been in the nhs either so where are you getting this glimpse and this, you know, it it could be useful. It's about an understanding of a wider picture. And you don't need to have been clearing bedpans in order to make these decisions no. at the top. Yeah, no, Kobe, 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 you're trying to move <laughs> us on. I can tell you're trying to move us on. You're trying to interrupt us. I am, us, indeed. But Diane has no here. longer, Diane has <laughs> not told me that I'm right and she's wrong yet. And therefore, <laughs> we have to keep going. Kieran, what have you done? What have you done, Kieran? <laughs> Lovely listener. Oh, well, this is this is where we're going to agree to disagree. I know that you've been listening to this and you will be siding with me, but... We're going to pretend for the podcast that we've both got different opinions and everything's okay. So I think I think you, lovely listener, you be the judge. Well, we know, but sure, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> Kieran, if you want to be a politician, you don't have to have gone to university. If you want to be a politician, go for it. Get people to support you. Get more votes than other people. Then you're in. We have another voice now. I think we should hear that. This one is from Sally. Hello, I have a question for the podcast this week. Uh, It's regarding the longevity of public support and what impact it will have on the strikes, more specifically people's perceptions of certain professions and the value of the roles within that profession. Uh, For example, I saw a comment on one of your posts the other day that implied physiotherapists wouldn't be missed possibly due to the person's individual experience and misunderstanding of the role of a physiotherapist. Do you see similar attitudes towards other professions like teaching, etc.? And do you think this will have any effect on the impact of the strikes? Thank you very much. The answer to the question is, I I think it's really sad to hear that people uh, said that that, the physiotherapists wouldn't be missed. Um, I think that as strikes go on, we get more and more tired. We get strike fatigue. Like the more we can't get the train to work, the more the more we have to see our children during the working day. Like it just builds and it builds and it builds. And you and people do get sick of it. And as people get sick of it, they do lose sympathy. Does that impact the effectiveness? It, what it does is it allows the government to continue to paint the strikers as disruptive and the Labour Party's in the pocket of the strikers and trying to attack them that way and they will get more support in this in these attacks and the attacks are just part of negotiations really but in these attacks they will get more support and we'll see how negotiations go the public not liking a strike 
doesn't mean that the negotiations are any less fruitful for the unions. In fact, the unions can say, we don't want to be striking. And they don't want to be striking. They just want a fair pay deal. And the government is saying, we just want to be able to afford our public services. So I don't think the lack of support, I don't think strike fatigue overall damages the impact of the strikes. This is not unique to strikes, right? This is this is the nature of the news cycle, isn't it? When it first something first lands, it's big, shiny, flashy, it's the thing. But then as you know, it's it's coming up to a, a year since the war in Ukraine started. And no less horrible things are happening there, but we just don't hear about it so much. We want to support the strikers as much as possible. There, I'm sure we wouldn't hear as much about it in the news because they wouldn't they wouldn't tell us other things to talk about. There'll be Harry and Meghan part two. There'll be something else that crops up that has to be talked about to sell newspapers. And there will be people who wane in their support because they do can't get to train, they can't get to work as much, or the, or they do like I say have to see their kids more. But um, I think it's it's not unique to strikes action and striking. It's it's a new cycle thing. It's a it's a it's an attention deficit thing that people have as as humans that leads that. But hopefully that doesn't mean the strikes will be any less successful um, or fruitful for those people who are striking. Yeah, absolutely. I think two years ago, if we go back two years ago today, we'll get we were in lockdown right and the first lockdown was all exciting and there's banana bread and online quizzes and all of that stuff that we enjoyed and then the then the third lockdown actually was it started in january and went through till mid-march was the longest of them and we were just sick of it by then and it wasn't there was none of that lockdown fun stuff it was just trudging through. And I think there's an element of that with the strikes. There's a, the first strikes are, oh, we can't get the train, but it's a strike and we'll talk about that. And the news was much more about negotiation at that point. And now the news is much more, yeah, you can't get the blooming train. Who, who, and they'll go and interview people who can't go to school and they'll go and interview people. And, that, and we're at that stage now, that kind of third lockdown grinding through with all the strikes rather than the banana bread strike phase. One thing I'd like to say on a point that Sally made was with the um, the comment on the physiotherapist, for example. I'd hope that people don't think less of certain industries who are striking or, or people who are striking. I think that maybe the comment with the physiotherapy was potentially flippant. I've seen, uh, yeah, most people associate physiotherapists with the people who come on with the magic sponges halfway through a football match or when someone falls over. But these people are incredibly important for recovery of many different illnesses and ailments um and if you don't understand why people are striking or the industry they come from please don't dismiss it because it might just simply be that you've not been affected by it personally and had to require on their services as as much i i think that's it. it it it's if you haven't personally necessarily experienced the benefits of of physiotherapy you won't be aware of what they do for people in chronic pain or people in recovery like you said Kobe but everyone's been to school and everyone's been to school and had a teacher for example you know so it's you can draw a little bit more on that experience but yes big up to physiotherapists okay let's head over to PM watch what have your spies been telling you about Rishi Sunak this past week he had a little little reshuffle after um, why did that happen the after he he got rid of his uh zahawi shady zahawi and he appointed craig hands who is um pretty safe pair of hands he's a solid london 
blue constituency fairly fairly dull yeah i mean yeah i met him once and then and then as deputy chair he uh he appointed lee anderson who is from the red wall who is a working class conservative and he is quite punchy about uh, a lot of things he got into uh, people he, he he made comments about how nurses should be budgeting better and how he could make like a whole meal for 30p or something so his nickname is 30p lee he's disparaging quite quite vigorously disparaging about most people he disagrees with he said some things about the conservative party that were um he referred to conservative party as uh, being the band on the titanic and now he's deputy party chair. So it's an interesting choice. But clearly what we're seeing is Rishi Sunak is trying to balance everything. Rishi Sunak is not expecting the local elections in May to go brilliantly. And he needs to have as many people on Team Sunak as possible so he can survive as Conservative Party leader after the May elections. And so he's got uh, he's got two very different branches of the Conservative Party and he's pulled them together to him as the chair and deputy chair, uh, all the rejigging. One job that hasn't been rejigged is Dominic Raab is still in the cabinet and I suppose he had to keep him in. He said there's going to be a tree, you know, there's going to be a fair process on the bullying claims. You can't then get rid because everyone will be like, well, what about the fair process? So we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But we are, we're watching Sunak consolidate support ahead of some tricky, tricky elections in May. Was it Greg Hans that said, right now, the countdown starts now for the election? Was it, was it Greg that said that? Uh, that was. He sent an email out to, to, to people saying we've got 18 months till the election because he said that, so longest it can go is the 20, January 2025. And he said that January, that wouldn't be a very festive thing to do, to put an election in January. And he said 2023 is almost no chance. So he is expect, we're expecting an autumn election next year. But also, I was just talking about Sunak shoring up his role, securing his role, strengthening his position, and... By putting the the party on election footing, that's what's going on. He's making it much harder to get rid of your leader if you're in the build-up to an election. So he's also solidifying Sunak's position without actually setting the date for an election. What else has Rishi been up to this week, Diane? The big thing this week was the surprise visit from President Zelensky of Ukraine. Tatton, both Tatton and Charlotte commented that the Commons was particularly well behaved in his presence um, uh, on Wednesday. It was really interesting to see. Obviously, he is a brilliant speaker. Fantastic. You know, just his delivery. Absolutely amazing. Well, it was Paddington, wasn't it? Ah, OK. Was it? Yeah, Zelensky voiced Paddington in, in Ukraine. Wow. What amazing. So his big pitch, the the reason he was there, he he has appeared um, to the Commons before via video screen, but this is the first time he's been there in person since the since the war began, and he was there basically as a big pitch um, to get fighter jets to get the UK to to give fighter jets as part of the arsenal that they have, and that's a really interesting one. Rishi Sunak has said nothing is off the table. 
But obviously doing that potentially could be seen as some kind of escalation. There's definitely some thought which will be going on. I'm sure Ben Wallace is, you know, all over this in terms of what is the best way to proceed. But that's that's what that was about this week. The politics is interesting, but the truth is we're going to give them planes. They, without a shadow of a doubt, Zelensky was going to come here, right? And again, what did Boris Johnson do when he was in trouble? He went to Ukraine. Right, Ukraine makes him like a strong leader. Being friends with Zelensky makes you like a strong leader. He also likes Zelensky because Zelensky is also a very short man. So you got Rishi and Zelensky together, and they never have other people in the picture. So it's just the two of them who are the same height, and they both look like big men. Um, but he loves having him here, and there was that trade-off. Zelensky was going to come here, he's going to make Sunat look good, he's going to make Sunat look like a leader. And at the same time, Zelensky's, what Zelensky is getting out of it is the chance to stand in Westminster Hall, this huge, I mean, that's, where, and that's the room, that's the structure where the, the Queen was laid in waiting um, last, like last year, um, not in waiting, what do you call it? In states, resting in state, what I... Um, she was in Westminster Hall, so this hugely symbolic and important place saying, we need planes. And I think it's unimaginable that after that event, we don't send planes. I mean, he, like Sunat already said, nothing's off the table. And a few, until recently, it was like, I don't think we're going to send planes. So we've already seen a shift in that dial and we're going to send planes. And to the final part of the podcast, the crystal ball, what will be the big stories that we'll be talking about in two weeks' time? Because we're not here next week. We have recess next week because it's half term. Um, that doesn't mean, I'll just put this out there again, it doesn't mean MPs are doing nothing. It means they're back in their constituencies, casework, you know, no doubt thinking about May and local elections, all of that kind of thing will be happening next week. I don't know if we'll hear about Dominic Raab in the next two weeks. I'm I'm less sure of the timeline for his piece. With Sahawi, it was really clear from the outset, it's going to be 10 days. And in fact, it was less than 10 days, you know, where we heard the outcome. I think this is potentially going to be longer, but I'm not sure. So question mark on that from me. Well, it is it is recess uh, this week. Um, politics, 2023 politics doesn't stop. Uh, the firefighters have, have called off the strike for now while members vote on a deal, which is quite good. It was 5% now and 5% later. And that 5% now is backdated quite nicely. So it's a good deal for them. We'll see if they take it. We might start to see other negotiations being successful. The government really doesn't want these rolling strikes for teachers beginning of March, at the beginning of next term. The big news is that Super Bowl Sunday, uh, go Chiefs. And that I'll be very sleepy on Monday because it finishes so late. It's so late, the Super Bowl. And it goes on for a long time, a long time, long. But it's so good. It's so good. Guys, it's been a pleasure speaking to you as always. We're not here next week because it's half term and we're going to have a bit of a rest in this podcast. But we'll be back the week after bringing you all the latest updates from the Simple Politics feed and more. Thank you very much, guys. See you in a couple of weeks.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.